Welcome to the Rebel and Be Well podcast, hosted by Krista Rimel, registered nurse, founder and CEO of Lifestyle Medicine Retreat Center, The Point Retreats, which is located amidst the woods and waters of northern Minnesota. During her podcast, Krista will interview experienced and successful healthcare professionals on outside-the-box health topics. During their time together, they will have in-depth discussions with trusted medical and health and wellness leaders to discover what they do to stay well using traditional and non-traditional health practices. Experts will share not only what, but why they practice the holistic lifestyle medicine they do and the science that backs their less than mainstream ideas. You'll hear the real and relatable personal health struggles of healthcare providers and what rebelling outside of the traditional healthcare system did to better their lives, careers, and health. Tune in to listen and learn the mind-body-spirit practices from conventional health experts who share hope and inspiration from honest stories of healing while reflecting the scientific-based evidence to wisely guide the inner rebel inside you. It's time to rebel and be well. to the Rebel and Be Well podcast. My name is Jamie Petchow and I am the Director of Operations at The Point. Normally, Krista Rimal is the host of this podcast, but today I'm very excited to share that she's going to be the guest on the podcast. We have decided to do it this way because it's going to be the end of our first and very successful season of our podcast. So thank you to everybody who has tuned in. We are very excited to return at the end of the summer with Dr. Jeremiah Eisenshank. But for now, we're going to close with Krista and I. Before I speak with Krista a bit, I do want to share her bio. A lot of people know Krista as the founder and owner of the, The Point Retreats, but she also has a wonderful background professionally and personally that I want to dig into a little bit before we get going. Krista Rimel is the founder, co-owner, and CEO of The Point. Krista has worked in the healthcare industry for over 20 years in emergency medicine, cardiac care, orthopedics, primary care, diabetes education, and endocrinology. She has a bachelor's degree in nursing, master's degree in healthcare leadership, and advanced training from the Institute of Lifestyle Medicine at Harvard Medical School, the Institute of Functional Medicine, and American Academy of Functional Medicine. It was during her time working as a diabetes nurse educator, followed by her role as a director of diabetes care and endocrinology, that she was motivated to be a change agent in the way we treat and manage chronic disease. After reaching out to those who have personally or professionally inspired her own journey to improved health, our dynamite experts at the point were created, our team. Experts in lifestyle and functional medicine, but equally as important, experts in pursuing adventure, sharing laughter, providing support, encouraging greatness, and helping others achieve their personal goals. When not spending time at the point, you can find Krista spending time with her family and friends, watching her daughter's basketball and soccer games, hiking, camping, and canoeing in the Boundary Waters, downhill skiing, spending time on her farm, playing pickleball, yoga, traveling, going to a music concert, cooking, or continuing to study all things related to health, fitness, nutrition, and functional lifestyle medicine. And with that, Krista, are you ready to begin? I'm good. So my first question is, tell us what drew you into medicine and healthcare. I have a sister who is now a functional medicine nurse practitioner, Mm -hmm. and she really pulled me out of the space that I started in when I went to school. I have an undergrad degree in psychology, Mm. and I plan to go on and get my master's in counseling, and I was going to pursue being a family marriage counselor. And my sister, kind of looking at our life at the time, when I was in my young 20s, she said, you know, Krista, I think you might actually really like nursing, which is something I had not 
not considered before. And then I took a position in a research department in a hospital in Duluth, Minnesota, and worked under a couple of phenomenal powerhouse nurses. And the combination of my sister's influence and then working with a couple of really strong female nurses, I just decided that this was a space that I wanted to pursue. And then um, from there, I kind of grew into having a couple of nurse leadership mentors. So that then pulled me on into the leadership space in healthcare. Okay. Where are you traditional in medicine and where are you not? Well, I would say I'm 50-50, but it will depend on who you ask. And that's, you know, <laughs> kind of all perspective, right? So sometimes it's really good when I have conversations with my husband because he'll keep me a little humble and he'll say, you are really outside the box. I'm like, really? You think I am? <laughs> He's like, yeah, you really are. Um, most people probably don't do half the things that you do or know you do half the things that you do. I have a high regard for Western traditional conventional medicine. I'm conventionally trained. It's the foundation of my education. And there are a number of incredible things that we do in traditional medicine mm-hmm to solve um, and resolve acute issues in health. So if I had a heart attack, you know, please don't bring me to the chiropractor or the (laughs) acupuncturist or the Reiki specialist. Mm -hmm. I would actually really like to go to the hospital. I believe in the cath lab. I believe in stents. I believe in a number of different interventions that we can provide for acute medical um, issues. And then I'm very non-traditional when it comes to how we treat people with chronic disease. I would say when it comes to things like uh, diabetes, chronic heart disease, a lot of our autoimmune conditions. Mm-hmm. I value what Western medicine can bring, but I think it has a stopping point where we have to look at what other integrative, alternative, holistic modalities can do to help people treat their chronic diseases. So that's where I would say I will meet with my physician um, and my doctor and my care team, but I will also pursue things like acupuncture, chiropractic mm. medicine, Reiki, um, massage, all kinds of other different modalities to treat chronic conditions. Because I do think that's where we don't always have all the answers in yeah. traditional medicine. And that's where I think integrative medicine holds a lot of potential. Mm-hmm. So what was the evolution of that? So oftentimes we see physicians or people who had comparable backgrounds to you educationally Mm -hmm. stay on that path, Mm -hmm. but you kind of took a different route. How did that come about? It started with actually one of my nurse leader mentors. Her Mm -hmm. name is Julie Schmidt, and she was the CEO of Woodwinds Hospital and eventually went on to be an executive team member of uh, the entire Health East Care System in the Twin Cities. And I was standing in a grocery store line, and I was looking at the magazines. I remember seeing Julie on the front of a Minneapolis business magazine Mm -hmm. and, you know, nurse CEO. And I was like, yes, that's (laughs) it. I was like, that's fantastic because nurses have just traditionally have a little different mindset around Mm -hmm. healing. And we tend to be a little bit more open mind. We do even subtle things like trusting our intuition. Mm -hmm. I would say nurses are a little more open to that. Mm -hmm. Um, Not all, but most I should say. And so I started at Woodman's Hospital where Julie was CEO and Julie being a really um, innovative leader in healthcare, she had a whole integrative health clinic within, within the hospital. 
So people could go and get all kinds of different uh, integrative therapies in an outpatient clinic there. But the coolest part was as a nurse, I could also call up a healing touch practitioner. I had essential oils at my fingertips. I had healing music I could put on for patients. So I started to use integrative medicine and acute care medicine really early on. Mm -hmm. And now you know, it didn't solve everybody's problems by any stretch of the imagination. There were many times where I was like, this is, feels like such a nice two versus all of the critical care I had to provide. Mm-hmm. But I saw it consistently soothing patients. We sometimes get so focused on the critical intervention that we forget like the healing part of the intervention. Mm-hmm. And that's where I saw those therapies having a beautiful adjunct um, in what they could offer. And so I'll never forget, I had this one patient who I had given enough narcotics to literally kill a horse. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh my, I don't even know what to do because he's crawling off the walls. He's rating his pain at 12 out of 10 on a 10, zero to 10 pain scale. And it was the first time I used a healing touch practitioner and I called her and I was probably semi frantic. I'm like, I do not, I don't even know what else to do. Uh, We've gone through everything we can possibly think of. I know this probably seems like an illogical next step, but can you please come up here? And she came up and she said, Krista, I need you in this room because you're holding a lot of energy in this room too, given you're assigned to this patient for the next eight, 12 hours. And in my head, I was like, no, I called you because I need you in this room. (laughs) I I need to go to the other rooms. (laughs) But I was like, okay, whatever I can do, because no matter what, he's, he's got to get to a better place. And so I just followed her lead and she went about her half hour of healing touch. And I was, it was remarkable. Two things. One, his pain went from a 12 to an eight, which may seem like nothing unless you're in healthcare and you have a patient who is at a 12 and now they're at an eight. And at least he could lay in bed and not be writhing in pain. Like Mm -hmm. he was starting to um, be more comfortable. And I noticed even my stress and anxiety started to decrease um, because of what was happening in the room, the shift in the energy in the room. And it was really profound. And what narcotics and everything else we had tried Mm -hmm. where that stopped. I quickly had my eyes open to the power of what an alternative therapy could do for someone in a really acute crisis of pain. So that Mm -hmm. was a good way you slowly start stepping out of the box. Mm -hmm. But is there an example that you have where you're like, I really took an unconventional route and it really worked out? A couple of different things that I did and and they're unconventional in very different ways, Mm -hmm. I would say. When I was getting my master's in healthcare leadership, I was counseling patients with diabetes uh, and I had a patient who I suspected had really severe food allergies. I suspected that that was causing a great deal of inflammation in their body. And whenever you have inflammation in your body, your blood sugars just kind of catapult inflammation, high, high blood sugars, I should say. And so the combination of the two is just setting this person up for failure. And I thought, okay, if we can remove some of the food allergies and triggers, I think we can probably get your blood sugars down. And that might not seem that unconventional, but it's certainly not part of the ADA protocol that you really look at food allergies (laughs) as part of what could be causing inflammation or high blood sugars. Mm. And so I suggested to this person that we really try and eliminate a lot of foods out of your diet that uh, even the ADA 
supports. So primarily gluten. I was like, I think we really need to get gluten out of your diet. I think we need to actually test you for celiac disease, even though I didn't really think they necessarily had celiac disease. I just thought they had a gluten sensitivity. And I knew that if I would have, you know, say cross-checked this with a physician, they would have been like, really, Krista, like you really think the blood sugar issues are from gluten. Um, but I was like, yeah, you know, and I just, I had things where I knew I was staying within my scope of practice and I knew that my colleagues trusted me enough to try some alternative things. And it worked for this patient. Once Mm -hmm. they got rid of some of the inflammation in their body, it was easier for them to take other lifestyle measures that made a big impact. And when you're someone who's dealing with chronically high blood sugars, even small wins will take you a long way, especially Mm -hmm. people who are insulin dependent. Um, And so immediately that person's need for insulin went down just a little bit when they uh, eliminated gluten for 30 days and they were like, Oh, I haven't been able to see this kind of progress in forever. Mm. And so I just trusted my instinct that, you know, this is what we had going on. And from there I could show the clinician some of the progress we'd made. And I said, I think, it would be wise mm-hmm. to refer them on for additional um, testing for food allergies. And so believe it or not, I mean, in the traditional world, that was very non-conventional. As a leader, I also took our diabetes education classes when I was the director of diabetes and endocrinology for our healthcare system. I said, you know, we have this really antiquated way of trying to teach people about how to best manage their diabetes and let's make it fun. Like, why do we have Mm. to do this in a white coat with a stethoscope and a white room with, you know, generic paintings on the wall? (laughs) I'm like, it's just boring. People need to get engaged in a different way. And Mm -hmm. we're talking about food as a primary way to manage diabetes. So why do we eliminate having food as part of the education? So we scratched that. And I said, you know what, let's find a cooking kitchen in the Twin Cities where we can host classes. And I went to Cooks at Crocus Hill and said, um, I don't want to do your average general health and wellness cooking class. Like, that's not what we're looking for. We mm-hmm. actually want to help people learn how to treat and manage diabetes. We're going to have diabetes educators in the kitchen with you at the cooks. And we're going to have endocrinologists in the kitchen with you. And we're going to teach them how to time their medication, how to count their carbs, how to, you know, look at uh, what they might be sensitive to and how they could possibly replace it with an alternative. And we're going to talk about all those things. Mm-hmm. And as a leader, that was very, very non-traditional to think about doing that. As a matter of fact, Cooks at Crocus Hill said we were the first um, healthcare system department that said we want to treat a disease in your kitchen. Mm-hmm. And so it was really fun to do that, um, to do that outside the box as a leader. Um, and people were hungry for something else, clinicians mm-hmm. and patients. It was the first time within three months we had a waiting list for our classes. Mm-hmm. And the other thing we did is we had them bring their family members because when you are trying to change your lifestyle and you're doing it as a solo person, it's really hard. You really need your support people to engage with you. We kind of shifted the paradigm there. Those were bo- both really big uh, moments where I kind of was like, you know, we we've got to do things a little bit differently mm-hmm. at times. Like we can't stay in these silos of like, but it's how we've always done it. And in my head, just the way I am, I'm like, well, that's the reason we need to do it different. Like, how are we doing? Well, we're not doing great because <laughs> we are constantly diagnosing more and more people with diabetes. Mm-hmm. So let's try and do this a little bit different. How do you identify as a rebel? So why are you a healthcare rebel? We mm-hmm. do a lot at the point mm-hmm. around rebellion and health and wellness. Yeah. Why do you think you're a rebel? 
Rebel's taken on such an interesting definition this year. And for me, I've always, I mean, prior to even going into healthcare, any, you know, my family would say, and our family of three girls, I'm definitely the one who would always be like, but why are we doing it like that? But do we have to do it like that? Can we do it some other way? I just like to think of things differently. You know, back to your question, Jamie, honestly, it's not like I'm in my mind that big of a rebel. So Mm -hmm. I'd be really interested to see what other people think. Yeah. But I just kind of said I put a a stance around anything I was going to be involved in to say it's just not going to fit in a box. Like Mm -hmm. we're not going to just keep doing things like we've done them because it's how we've always done them. Mm -hmm. We're not just going to look at things through one lens. We're not just going to stay in our single silo of Mm -hmm. what we know best. And I guess that makes me a rebel because I want to look at what are integrative people doing, what are holistic people doing, what are alternative people doing, what are biohackers doing. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't, medicine does not hold the answer for everything by any stretch of the imagination, as good as it is at many things. Yeah. And so I very quickly opened up opportunities for people to go, let's talk about it all. Mm-hmm. Um, the very first retreat that we ever had at the point retreats, we had a group of about 40 different healthcare professionals from all different realms from endocrinologists to primary care docs, to naturopaths, to personal trainers, mm-hmm. to yoga instructors. And the thing is, is all of us are seeking out those different modalities to improve our health or to treat a health condition that we are battling. And why is it that our surrounding group of healthcare professionals or alternative healthcare professionals, why can't we talk to each other? Mm -hmm. It's so bizarre to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess that's more rebellious than I thought, but it it is. People tend to want to kind of stay in their silos, think what they do is best. There's not as much Uh, importance or relevance in what everyone else is doing. And I'm like, no, we're all really (laughs) relevant. And we all have to work together for ourselves to have the highest potential to heal and treat many conditions. And, you know, for our, the people that we serve, I mean, Mm -hmm. we have to be open to what they think is going to work. What, what are you interested in doing? Mm -hmm. And what do you think is going to improve your health and encourage that in people? Again, I don't really think this is really all that rebellious, but I have a core value of trying to stay off as many pharmaceuticals as possible Mm -hmm. for as long as possible. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean I'm anti-pharmaceutical because there's a time and a place where you often need them. And that's happened in my life before. And I'm sure it will probably happen at some point down the road again. But I've really made a commitment to doing what I can within my abilities to live a lifestyle that can prevent as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to rely on pharmaceuticals. It's tricky. You know, people get kind of hung up on what insurance will pay for. And and some of that is certainly understandable because all things health-related have a cost. Mm-hmm. Um, but I quickly started to see the cost of sickness, and it was mm-hmm. really, really high. Yeah. And I don't just mean I, – I mean dollars and cents, but I also mean what it does to one's quality of life, how it changes your life, your relationships, your ability to work, um, your ability to enjoy your kids, your ability to do the things you want to do. And I just very quickly was like, okay, I'm surrounded by that all the time mm-hmm. in healthcare. And I had to – in my and, – and, when you're, you kind of become what you're surrounded by. And I saw a lot of doctors and nurses, you kind of succumb to this laissez-faire approach to personal health Mm -hmm. because you don't, you kind of get caught up in that cycle of, we don't have time. We don't have space to take care of ourselves. We got to work 24 seven. Um, and I just rebelled against that. And I was Mm -hmm. like, Nope, I'm not, 
I'm, I'm not going to do that. I've, I already had uh, a couple experiences where I had um, faltering health and I was like, nope, I am not doing that at this age. Yeah. So it means me taking charge of my own health. Uh, and that means, you know, living a lifestyle that can uh, really support optimal health. Yeah. People who work in the conventional health and medicine space, they will second guess lifestyle medicine or preventative medicine. Mm-hmm. And But I think it goes both ways. I think there's also a lot of people in the other space or more the alternative or integrative space, if you want to say, and they don't have a lot of trust or faith in conventional institutions, mm-hmm. right? You do a really great job of bridging both or being open to both. And you kind of come back to that and you use different words, but you're so open and willing to hear everybody's perspective. How do you think we're going to actually break down those silos? So I know we say we have to. Mm-hmm. I know we say we should. And it's better for everybody as individuals and as patients and as practitioners. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't happened yet. So mm-hmm. how is it going to happen? It's it's complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually don't think that traditional medicine wants to dismiss lifestyle medicine. Okay. I think that's it's twofold. One, most of us in traditional medicine programs, mm-hmm. and I'm just going to take, let's say, medical students and nursing students, we are taught very little historically about about nutrition, about fitness, about uh, sleep, Mm -hmm. about lifestyle medicine. Literally, the last statistic I read was in medical school, uh, medical students receive roughly 11 to 20 hours of nutrition training education. Mm -hmm. And so that's minimal, very, very, very minimal. Um, So it's not a tool that that immediately goes in our toolbox, so we don't default to it Mm -hmm. first. And then second, you know, in today's world, patients come in sicker and sicker and sicker, and they come in with problem lists that are a mile long, and you have like a 15 to 20 minute appointment, and you're like, I can hardly get through question number one and two, let alone try and talk about nutrition, which is such a big topic that it's really, I can't even open Pandora's box and Mm. start talking about it, Mm because I know I have a limited time with this person. So it's not, it's, I'd say, Traditional healthcare professionals are kind of set up to not be able to implement that well. Okay. How can we solve that? I think it goes back to kind of what I said before, where we have to know our limitations. But what mm-hmm. we can do as healthcare professionals is we can open the door to those to those concepts. Maybe not a full conversation, but we can say, no, I see what you're struggling with. And I have a hunch that if we were able to manipulate or change or improve a few things in your diet, it could really make a big difference. And maybe you would need half the medication in three months that you need right now. Mm-hmm. Would you be willing to go and talk to so-and-so? I would really encourage that. And if we could just open doors by having those conversations and then know who we have at our fingertips to refer people to, I think that's how we solve the problem. And really that's utilizing, in particular, I would say health coaches. Mm. So health coaches, you know, when you think about it, uh, they usually get an hour with a patient or a person. And an hour is a really long time. And they see people often an hour to a week. And that's like, all a lot of physicians see their patients in an entire year. So health coaches hold a lot of potential for helping people really, you know, uncover where what might be making them stuck where they are, um, you know, taking, say, things in that lifestyle medicine realm that hold a lot of potential if they can improve on them. And if we could collaborate and have physicians and health coaches or personal trainers or acupuncturists, if we could all start working together and talking <laughs> and I mean, <laughs> it's a idea. really novel idea <laughs> apparently um we would we would get 
much farther than mm-hmm. we are. And I think patients would feel like they had been heard and validated, which is another part of care that I think we often shy away from. Like in traditional medicine, we kind of want to come in and go, okay, here's what you've got. Here's what we've got to do to fix right. it. Let's go. And we hardly engage with a patient in conversation or dialogue around their care. Yeah. That's actually one of the first things that I learned that probably was also very rebellious is rebellious in quotations. <laughs> the first couple of years I was working very intimately with patients who had diabetes. I would often go in with that approach. Okay, here's what we got to do. Blah, blah, blah. We're going to fix this. You got to do this. We got to do that. And then there's like, okay, well, I can talk to them blue in the face. And if they're mm-hmm. not going to do it, it doesn't even matter what I'm prescribing or saying or recommending. So I finally had to really shift my approach and just say, hey, you know, I see like these 10 or 20 things holding a lot of potential to improve your blood sugars and helping you feel better. What do you think you can do? What do you think would work best for you? And let's start there. Um, You know, what I think is relevant, and I'm happy to tell you my top three things, but it has to work in your life to implement them. So let's start where you think you can succeed, and then we'll build from there. So Mm -hmm. I think it's twofold. We have to be willing to work with others, refer, open the conversation, encourage our patients to use other modalities to heal, build those other modalities up, meaning recommend them, refer them, Mm -hmm. validate them, and then engage in greater dialogue with our patients around what they think will work for their health. So I want to bring up something that somebody reached out to us directly and ask that I ask you. Okay. It says, I have seen you demonstrate so much positivity in particular through the past year. No matter how challenging the obstacles are that you are someone, I often receive so much positive force from. Where do you get your inspiration and motivation from? I think I had to learn how to do this well when I was working in the hospital with Mm -hmm. patients that were very sick. Because how I showed up in their room, you know, I could be positive or negative about their circumstance. And sometimes it was really hard to be positive because their circumstance was quite dire. But what I tried to always bring was, what's something that I can do for you today that will make a difference for you? You can approach the same problem and and have different results depending Mm -hmm. on your approach. So if I approach them with a positive question like that, it just shifted the whole entire day versus Mm -hmm. if I walked in and said, oh, you are really sick. This is going to be really hard. I'm, you know, even I'm sorry, this is just really awful. Mm. Um, I don't know what we can do for you here, but I'm going to try. It just has a negative twist to it, you know, where I had to kind of learn when you're working with people who are so sick, you have to find something positive to give them hope to hold on to. And how you set the stage for that when you walk in that person's room is really critical. So it made their day better. It made uh, my day better. It just made their family feel better. It, it, the situation is going to be what it is. So mm-hmm. you can look at it negatively and stay in that mindset, or you can try and look at it as positively as possible and what you can control and stay in that mindset. And either way, the situation is going to stay the same. Right. One, you can get through it much easier. Mm-hmm. One, it's going to feel much harder. How do you apply that in your personal life? So the person who mentored this and, and amplified this best in my life was my dad. So my dad, when he was 15, he lost his arm in a car accident. And, you know, I have children close to 15 and I look at them often mm-hmm. and I'm like, what would that be like if they lost their arm or their leg right now? How traumatic that would be for them. And what I saw my dad you know, throughout his life overcome despite having a significant disability Mm -hmm. was profound. And my dad had this incredibly resilient mindset. He was always positive. So he had some struggles, you know, in that 
moment of being 15 and losing an arm, but he very quickly could shift himself from thinking I'm going to be an athlete, which is what he always thought to be, to saying, I'm going to be the best student in college I can be and have the most successful Mm -hmm. career. And then he went on to go, what can I still do? And honest to God, I don't think there's anything he didn't do physically (laughs) that he thought he could. I mean, anything he thought he could do, he would do. So he downhill skied, he water skied. I mean, think of how hard it is to water ski with two arms. And he got up with one. He was a golfer who got on a golf course and was partners with Arnie Palmer. I mean, he did not let his disability stop him. He, I never saw my dad get in the mindset of what I can't do. It was always what I can do Mm -hmm. in a positive way. So I think as a kid, I just kind of watched that and I was like, you can really do anything. Like yeah. you can do anything. Yeah. That's what, and if my dad was a perfect example of that and mindset and a positive mindset is a huge part of that. I did not hear my dad talk negatively about people. I did not hear him approach many topics with a negative mindset. It was always a, what can we do with this? What is the possibility in this? And that changed my mindset significantly. Yeah. So to answer your question about it personally, um, I think at a young age, you know, cause I always knew my dad as an individual with one arm and I, I would notice other people notice it, but I was always like, Oh, that's mm-hmm. right. My dad has a, my dad has something different. Mm-hmm. Um, but he soared. And so I think I just kind of as a young child, even just formed a different mindset yeah. uh, in general. And personally, I would say I actually do this fairly well personally. It takes a lot for me to like hit a threshold where I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, everything's crazy. And I'm not going to say <laughs> never <laughs> because you've probably seen it no, a couple but it's times. Seldom. It is very, yeah. very seldom. So you've worked with patients, you've worked in administration and healthcare, and you've mm-hmm. also now worked as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. So you've got a lot of your mindset from your father, but You've also grown a lot as a leader over time professionally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are some of the biggest lessons that you learned in each of those buckets as mm-hmm. you've grown? You know, people always assume I left patient care because I didn't like patient care. And yeah. it's actually just the opposite. I loved patient care. Mm-hmm. I love working with patients. As a matter of fact, they're probably far easier than any other <laughs> camp I've worked in because <laughs> nine out of 10 times you can do something that makes someone happy and yeah. improve their situation. And so, you know, I learned in patient care, I went into being a nurse thinking, you know, I had like all these visions and dreams of like, you know, throwing up a pen in people's hearts and like restarting yep. them. And then they get up and they walk away. Wasn't that great? She <laughs> saved them. And, Hero. you know, all these heroic mm-hmm. interventions and measures. And I actually went and I did my uh, EMT, which is what paramedics get. So I could work in emergency medicine mm-hmm. and in the field and pursued a lot of emergency medicine education uh, above and beyond nursing school. And very quickly, I learned, of course, like I said before, all those things really matter when you're in a traumatic situation mm-hmm. or critically ill. But it doesn't take long to shift where I saw that it was really how you approached the patient and how honest you were with the patient, how relatable you could be with yeah. the patient. Um, all of those things mattered almost just as much as all the other mm-hmm. stuff, in particular when someone stabilized. You know, that was a big lesson for me in nursing. I used to think it was going to be all of the really big interventions. And often it was like the really small, simple things that I could do for someone that could just make a big shift in the day. Um, As a leader, I would say 
and I will apply this, obviously my experience in leadership is in healthcare. So when I left the bedside to start taking leadership positions, I quickly said, okay, Krista, your job used to be to take care of patients. Now your job is to take care of the people taking care of the patients. Mm. So it was my job to take care of the physicians and the nurses and the dietitians and the respiratory therapists and whoever else I was in charge of mm. or supervising or managing or directing. I had to make them feel cared for so they could then in turn go take good care of others. And that was always my frame of mind. Um, Now, that's hard to do in healthcare. I would say it could be one of the hardest business spaces to do that Mm -hmm. because anytime you're merging someone's life or health or death with a dollar – because healthcare is also yeah. a business. And when you're a healthcare leader, you have to run the business side of it. It's really hard to merge those things mm-hmm. and feel congruent, which is why I think healthcare leadership is so challenging. What I learned in healthcare leadership is to take care of those taking care of others, first and foremost, and then always be as transparent as I possibly could with the team or department um, or unit that I was in charge of because. Yeah. It is such critical work that there has to be a deep level of trust and they have to know that you care about them as individuals or they're not going to work very hard. No one's going to work very hard and no one's going to succeed and do very well. And then as an entrepreneur, which I did not have any training in, (laughs) which I'm getting a lot of street smarts in uh, very quickly. I did not have a lot of book smarts in entrepreneurship, but I, uh, you know, would say again, it's, I don't know how you could be an entrepreneur and be a pessimist. I don't know that those two yeah. can coexist, yeah. to be honest. I think you have to be, you have to have a lot of grit. You have to be really resilient mm-hmm. and you have to be an optimist yeah. because you're going to get knocked down a million and one times as an entrepreneur. You have to really be able to see opportunity and the hard lessons yeah. and just go, there's something I'm meant to learn here. I don't know what it is. I'm going to trust it's going to unfold and it's going to be like, ah, that's it. And then be open to learning from it. Mm -hmm. And I think entrepreneurship, I have the utmost respect for entrepreneurs that I don't really know you get until you've been one. It's hard in a good year. It's really hard in a not good year. Mm -hmm. So any entrepreneur that has like been able to survive this last year seriously just deserves a pat on the back because it was not an easy feat for most of them or many of them. Um, So yeah, entrepreneurship has taught me like, Girl, you got to pull out that inner grit and like hang on to it for dear life. <laughs> You're doing very well. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> we at the point oftentimes come from the space of formal health education, or maybe not formal, but very mm-hmm. reputable health education. Mm-hmm. And then we also have a lot of experiential wellness. And I mm-hmm. think what is different about the point is that a lot of our experiential wellness is a little bit outside of the box. Mm-hmm. Are there things outside mm-hmm. of the box that you practice mm-hmm. that would be fun to share. You know, my outside of the box radar is getting a little cloudy these days because <laughs> you don't know the difference. <laughs> I don't even know the difference anymore. I'm like, I'm not sure. Is that in the box or outside the box? I guess it depends on who you ask. Put it this way. Okay. So I'll give an example that happened yesterday at my house. So my husband, we have a cedar barrel sauna outside and we actually have a little, a cold plunge tub, which is really just like a horse trough. Um, We live in the country on a farm, so it's kind of fitting for a few reasons. Um, But my youngest and her friend were like, Hey mom, can we fill this up with really cold water? We want to do cold plunges. And I was like, yeah, that's awesome. They were laughing and squealing and screaming and running in and out of the cold water, running around the yard outside, um, bare feet, just having a ton of fun 
in cold plunging, which it's so interesting, Jamie, because you know this. People are so intrigued with the fact that we do this, like in yes. the middle of the winter, minus 20 weather, in a lake. And there is research behind the medical benefits between are between cold therapy and heat shock therapy. Mm-hmm. And so that initially drew me in, but it kind of became very secondary to me because it was more about the mental and uh, emotional transformation that I saw in people when oh. they did this, whether it was, they were thinking they were kind of a badass cause they right. did this, like the triumph <laughs> yes. of like conquering a cold plunge in Minnesota in the middle of a hardy winter. Mm-hmm. They felt empowered and that was awesome. Mm. Or there are a few people who I think went through something really transformational, like shedding some trauma when mm-hmm. they're in the water, like they put themselves in a certain mindset state and really let something powerful go in the process of doing a cold plunge. And I think that's equally as important in the paradigm of health. Gosh, there's so many things that we just haven't even tapped into yet that can be healing. And for me, I guess that's probably, you know, some of those things are people look at it as outside the box. I think people would be surprised. Now it helps that I have a sister who's a functional medicine nurse practitioner and I call her my lab dealer because she <laughs> orders me all kinds of funky labs. And I'm like, Lisa, I think I got to check this. And I'm like, you know, can we do this? And we got to do this. She's like, oh, and I think you should do this. And so I do a an, probably an abnormal amount of testing on myself in different capacities. Mm-hmm. Not to mention I have like boxfuls of continuous glucose monitors at my house. <laughs> I'm constantly running around in those and checking things and trying things and like, oh, I'm going to do a five day fast and check my blood sugars while I'm doing it. And oh, I'm going to try going keto for a couple of weeks and see what my blood sugars do. I mean, mm-hmm. that's probably not normal. <laughs> yeah. I think that's <laughs> but, hard to say. But I do like to, obviously I take how I feel to heart, but I do do some internal dives on probably more regular basis than your average person. Mm. Okay, I do want to do a fire round, but mm-hmm. before that, I want to take a moment to dive into the point a little bit. Yes. So, if you're a listener to this podcast, you're probably familiar with the Point Retreats, which is the business that Krista founded. So, what is the point to you? You know, first, I would say it's a legacy. Mm. Because anyone who's come to the point, you know, knows that it was a family property purchased back in the mid 19 19- or in 1980 by my parents and they had a a vision and held it as a space for family and friends and some of their colleagues gathered for many, many years and we built so many dynamite memories up there. Um, So it was always just this space of like incredible joy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's probably one of the few spaces where I saw my dad disconnect from being a workaholic. So it always oh. held this special space in my heart. Cause I got to see my dad. It's like when I really got to spend time with my dad and see him as a person and not an executive or, you know, this person who is consumed with so many other things as he was running a big company. For me, there's a lot of family memories there. Um, a lot of nostalgic memories and definitely a place of legacy. It's also a place of great healing potential because from a young age, I was there was a reverence about the property because it sits on a peninsula that has uh, multiple Native American burial mounds that have been excavated, but they are still there. Mm-hmm. And so it also automatically be, is this space of like great spirituality um, and a lot of deep, meaningful history. And so every time I go up there, I automatically am kind of called to notice things. I probably just don't notice in my day-to-day life, like the eagles flying above or certain trees or certain sunsets, or I just, it makes me pause and look at the spiritual realm of the world that we're living in and how that affects me as a person or, you know, in whatever part of my journey I'm in. In terms of a business now, you know what? 
It's interesting. I mean, Jamie, you know, I sometimes have people reach out to me and they're like, I would like to start a health and wellness retreat business. And I'm like, oh, that's great. (laughs) And it is great. Um, And it, I would not change anything that I do ever because I love it, but it's also, you know, a labor of passion and purpose. Mm -hmm. So that's why I do it now because I feel really called to that place and I feel really called to do the work that we're doing. And so I will work 60 hours a week because it fills my purpose tank and I'm really passionate about what I do. And I hope that's what people feel when they come. Um, so the core of the business is really to have this space where people can explore health. And I have like no boundary or few boundaries around that. Like really it's like, we can explore a lot of cool things. I try and keep the caliber of speakers there very high. Mm -hmm. Um, so we hire and get to know and become friends with colleagues that become speakers that we know they have something really, really valuable to teach. They're credible. They have great educational backgrounds, great experiential backgrounds. So whatever you're receiving from them is, you know, going to translate into something I believe will be really powerful. But I also want people to feel like it's okay to experience and explore different opportunities to health. And I think it feels a little safer when people do that, when there's at least usually one MD there who's like supporting something really outside the box. And they're like, yeah, you know, I do all these traditional things. They're great. But I also have found that I need something else outside of that for myself or for the patients that I work with. And they give people permission, I think, to just say, it's okay to do health differently than how we maybe were raised to always think about it or how we look at our traditional healthcare mm-hmm. systems. So I really wanted to feel like a safe space for people to explore different avenues and paths to health. Okay. Um, that's at the core of the point. Recently, you have partnered with Chuck Runyon. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. That was unexpected. Yeah. <laughs> I'll start there. Personally, Chuck is a friend that our daughters played soccer together. I yeah. think they started when they were maybe seven. And I remember we were at a on the soccer fields, and all the parents were very friendly in that group of parents. We all liked each other. And Travis was like, have you ever really talked to Chuck? Because I think you'd really like him. Like, he's got a lot of stuff in common. <laughs> like, you guys both like a lot of the same stuff. So I'm like, oh, really? Okay, I'll have to go talk to him. And he said, I think he owns some business or something with, you know, in the uh fitness space. So Chuck and I had a few conversations on the sidelines. I was like, you know, we got to know each other a little bit there, got to know his lovely wife, Shannon. And we just had fun as couples. I mean, we, the whole team like of parents were just, you know, great. Mm -hmm. And we just enjoyed each other for the seasons our kids played together. And now our kids go to the same middle school and high school together. So we've maintained a friendship um, in particular in the bleachers or on the sidelines. (laughs) Chuck's family also has a cabin up there. So occasionally we'd see each other on the boat on the lake and, you know, wave and the kids would every now and then run to each other's cabin and play. Then it came to be that one of my siblings uh, was in a stage of life where she could retire and her kids had all left home and she was looking at kind of they were looking at their next phase of life Mm -hmm. and which meant probably getting to the point even less. And kind of at that same juncture, Chuck and I started having conversations about the opportunities there could be in becoming partners there. And we put together some plans in the summer of 2019 and they were such good plans. Like they were really good plans in the 2020. (laughs) (laughs) But we actually signed on as partners together in December of 2019. Mm -hmm. 
why it's relevant for a lot of people is Chuck is the CEO mm-hmm. of Self-Esteem Brands, um, which is the parent company to multiple global health franchises, mm-hmm. such as probably best known for Anytime Fitness and Wax in the City, Bar Method and Basecamp. And they continue to acquire new brands on a regular basis. So Chuck has a really large preventative health platform. Mm-hmm. And um, although the point is not part of the self-esteem brands company, this was more of a personal investment and partnership on Chuck's part. He's been very gracious and wanting to find ways to integrate us within the brand yeah. and make it so that we can serve the self-esteem brand in a meaningful way. And, you know, that's something that we kind of had to halt and go into survival mode a little bit in 2020 um, as his company, obviously, you know, having a, a fitness focused mm-hmm. uh, company, you know, that was a challenging year for them. So he just had to put a lot of focus into sustaining that. And then at the point we had to divert. I mean, you know, we went through ABCD, EFG plans (laughs) and then back to B. (laughs) And so we had to get really good at plan Bs. And um, thanks to Jamie and a couple other individuals, Travis, we worked hard and we got through last year. Mm -hmm. And so now it's exciting to see that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And now some of the plans that Chuck and I had originally started to dream, I can see us going back to those. And now we can start to really look at how could we implement those in the next, you know, 6, 12, 18 months. And I think, again, it's kind of like life goes, right? I think there's actually, we probably both have learned a lot as leaders that I think will benefit us in the future moving forward. And I think it's probably given us a more profound platform to stand on where, you know, you ask how Chuck and I are probably both rebellious outside of Mm -hmm. the traditional healthcare or how people perceive health in a traditional way. And what we saw this year was a dire need to improve the health of our nation. And we can continue to ignore that if we choose, Um, but we have a really big problem. And when we have novel viruses like COVID-19 that show up, it's going to be a, continue to be a really big problem. This will not be the first novel virus that we encounter or the last. It's Mm -hmm. not the first and it won't be the last. And so the state of our country the health of our country really matters. And it's something that we constantly want to ignore. I think sometimes because it feels like such a big problem, we don't yeah. even know where to start. Um, and of course, some of the things around lack of health make money. You know, that's right. just the truth of the matter. But we have a dire problem around our health in our country, around chronic disease. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a recent study at a university in North Carolina that said 88% of U.S. adults are metabolically um, compromised. And what did we learn from COVID? You know, those with blood sugar dysregulation, those who are not metabolically healthy, were significantly more impacted with, you know, symptoms and disease around COVID than the than the other individuals. So we have to really look at our state of overall health. And I hope that this will bring that to the forefront um, of what we do moving forward. Thus far, I see it being talked about not nearly enough. So we really have to, I think, commit as a country to our national health globally, to our global health. And it's not always easy, but it's worth it. Yep. You know, like, so next time a new SARS COVID 2 virus shows up, our bodies are going to be more resilient if right. we're in a healthier state. And it doesn't always have to be, you know, that I think people think, well, if I'm not a size two and I, yeah. you know, don't eat, you know, nuts and berries all day, <laughs> that I'm not healthy. And I'm like, no, that's not it. Right. That is not what I'm talking about. 
small steps count. Yeah. And um, I think that's where Chuck and I, moving forward, have the potential to make a big impact in the way that we both um, think and the passions and the purpose that we both have. And I hope that we can continue to find more impactful ways for people to bring that forward because, yeah, we have an opportunity to do this different. And I'd like to see us being game changers and thought leaders around that. Crystal, what a way to close that. I'm like at the edge of my seat. Okay, so I want to take the last few minutes to do a fire round. Okay. This is going to be slightly challenging because both of you and I talk often and yes. a lot. So we're going to try to do it quickly. Okay. Fire round. So first question, what is something upcoming in health and wellness that you think people should pay attention to? Continuous glucose monitors. Okay. What is something you've learned this past year? Perspective. Mm. What is something the world needs more of? Grace. And can I elaborate on that one? Go ahead. I think grace is so important Mm. because of people's varying perspectives, Yeah, which I just answered. So I am in an odd position where I have, a, would say, a pretty close perspective and a pretty big spectrum of things that have happened from this last year from front lines as I went back into the hospitals to help for a brief time Mm -hmm. during COVID surges in Minnesota. And then being on the far end of things where I also have a lot of friends who are like really outside the box Mm -hmm. in terms of the biohacking space and then everything in between. And I think we all need a lot of grace because what happens in a time of trauma and this last year was very traumatic for a lot of people, is you can only see and you can only deal with what's right in front of you. And so for healthcare professionals on the front lines, you know, they're seeing like the worst of the worst of the worst of this if they're in critical care, Mm -hmm. emergency medicine, ICU. And so people who want to go, this isn't that bad, this isn't that big of a deal, it might not be for you, but from their perspective, it is. So give them some grace. And for people who are really trying to focus on preventative health and, you know, maybe more of the biohacking, you know, experiential health, give them some grace because they have a different mindset around everything that's happened in, you know, different realms, like say spiritual realms that you can't think about when you're in a space of intubating someone. Mm. And so, and then the entrepreneur has this space right in front of them of I've worked so hard to create this business. I can't see it fail. And so everyone's coming from such different perspectives and it's all relevant to like what you're seeing right in front of you. And that's all really relevant Mm -hmm. for each person. And I just think we all have to offer one another a lot more grace in that and try and be much more compassionate. Yeah. What leaders do you follow or have as mentors? So my three mentors definitely are my dad, mm-hmm. um, Julie Schmidt, mm-hmm. CEO, pre- our previous CEO of Woodwinds Hospital, and Chuck. Very good. Favorite book? I would love to read more fiction. I wish I would do more reading for fun. Unfortunately, I do a lot of reading for education. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always looking for the last decade, just constantly reading more about different components of healthcare or health and wellness. And so my, f- my favorite fiction book is Glennon Doyle. Oh. You gave me her book last yes, summer, Untamed. Yeah, yeah that's your awesome. favorite? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really? I would say honestly, it's such a good book. It is. Because it was the first book that as just a mom and a woman, yeah. I was like, oh, all that stuff's normal. I'm so heard. I know. She totally gets me. <laughs> so, yes. That's yes. a good answer. So that that surprises the, me. That was the best fiction book I've read in a while. Nonfiction read. 
You know, I would say the end to Alzheimer's. And I read mm. that a couple of years ago, but I pick it up once a year. It's by Dr. Dale Bradison. Okay. And he is a thought leader in the Alzheimer's uh, space in mm-hmm. treating Alzheimer's and preventing Alzheimer's. And of course, that's impacted my family deeply as my mom has Alzheimer's. Um, so I find his research incredibly different than everything else that's being offered in the space today. And I think it's providing a lot of hope for families that are deeply impacted by Alzheimer's. Okay. What's a favorite health hack in each of the core pillars, the points pillars? I would say for sleep, what I try and do is I'm trying to limit my electronics late at night. I am staying very true to wearing my blue blockers when that's not going to happen because I know I might not always be the best at that. So how can I mitigate the effects of being someone who tends to work late? And then at night in our bedroom, I only have a red light, the sauna space um, desk red light, which I know I gave you one too. Um, And I only have that on. And so I don't have all of the, I try and mitigate the stimulation from electronics at night. And when I'm trying to be even better, I try and limit the electronics period Supplements, magnesium, L-theanine, melatonin, um, CBD, and ashwagandha are my go-tos if I need any additional support in sleep. Nutrition, the the most challenging thing that I ever did in the nutrition realm was actually uh, a couple of different fasts. Um, One was the Prolon fast, which I actually thought was dynamite, but it was challenging for me. Mm. The other thing I would add that's something new that I'm starting or have done intermittently this year is meal prep. With Ooh, the yes. personal trainer that I work with, Mike Bjornson. So because sitting and eating, you know, um, wholesome, nutritious meals is not a problem for me at dinner, but lunch and breakfast, mm-hmm. I'll easily just continue to fast or eat a, you know, high quality bar, which is not great when your adrenals are showing some significant fatigue. So Mike and I have been uh, doing some meal prep and that's actually been really fun to explore something very new for me. And so that's been a new nutrition hack for me this year. And then in terms of restoration, you know what I did last year and especially during the shutdown, I got into a really good routine of going outside in the morning, grounding and just getting sunshine on my face for 10, 15 minutes at the start of my day. Mm. You know, we all had more time to do those kind of things and we couldn't go a lot of places. So I was trying to figure out what I could do at home. And I felt I was a much happier person last summer when I would do that. And then on the days when I would not, I just felt a little more discombobulated. Mm -hmm. Um, So I started my day with restoration, which I will tell you, that's probably the only time in my life last summer that I was able to accomplish that. Um, And I wish I could tell you I'm still doing that as a continuous practice now. And I'm not, (laughs) but... I still think about it. And Mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, when you just know that it's something that worked in the past, it will come back into Mm -hmm. your space again. So that might come back into my summer again. I am a sun goddess by nature, so I love the sun. And (laughs) I like to continue to work on my vitamin D (laughs) naturally. And that's just something that was a really peaceful way to start my morning. Mm I like that. Restoration, as I mentioned, acupuncture is definitely something that I'm working on for restoration. Um, And I do use the Calm app. Um, That's a really easy app to use where I just do a 10-minute meditation at night, just quietly listen, and that actually helps too. Movement is actually my easiest pillar. Mm -hmm. It's been so ingrained for me. I mean, I do a lot of different activities. 
Yoga is one. I actually really like hot yoga mm-hmm. um, because you're kind of getting a detox and movement. You know, movement's probably just doing more outside this year because we've had, you know, less access to gyms. Although as soon as like anyone opened up, I was at the door, like standing there outside being like, are you open yet? <laughs> um, so I have done more probably snowshoeing, winter hiking, getting mm-hmm. out on our local trails, um, paddle boarding, just more of the using our natural, beautiful resources outside here in yeah. Minnesota than I ever have taken advantage of before, especially when the gyms were shut down. Are you a larger rebel personally or professionally? Zero to 25 personally <laughs> and <laughs> 25 to 47 professionally. Did okay. I say that right? I think I just No, you did. Right. Okay. It wasn't following a first age. Yes. Okay. okay. So zero to 25, I mean, relatively speaking, yeah. I was much more of a personal rebel. Yeah. And then from 25 to 47, definitely more of a rebel professionally. So the very last question that I have for you, Krista, is given what's happened in the past year, everything Mm -hmm. that you've learned over life, and I mean, especially most recently, what does a point have? What do we have for the point in the future? We have an opportunity to do a lot of exciting things, I think, ahead. And Jamie, as you and I have spent a number Mm -hmm. of hours um, brainstorming different um, visions that we have. I see uh, retreats certainly continuing Mm -hmm. and people are aware, you know, we do some retreats that are specific for healthcare professionals and they offer continuing medical education credits. And I think those are really going to continue to be important at the point because healthcare professionals actually ironically have the least opportunity and probably the fewest spaces where they feel like they can go and take care of themselves often. Um, And then uh, you know, and, and get CME credits for that. And after this year, healthcare professionals really need a place where they can process um, all that's happened in the year, the past year. So I see us continuing to offer those. And then I also see us um, continuing to explore opportunities where we can integrate in with self-esteem brands more, mm-hmm. um, which is my business partner, Chuck Runyon's company. And where I think we can really make a difference there is bringing in the holistic paradigm of health um, and being a bridge between the uh, healthcare medical space and the preventative health space and trying to get more cohesiveness and collaboration between those two kind of silos right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then secondary to that, I think something that both of those spaces need more of is holistic leadership. And we've explored that a lot as we hear that being a pain point that is continuously expressed by both the healthcare space and the preventative health space. And I think just companies and corporations in general, and it's really hard when you have to go into survival mode to do much else than survive. Mm -hmm. And so now we need to really look at how we can thrive ahead. And I think we have an opportunity to bring a lot in the healthcare uh, space around holistic leadership. So what does that mean to be a healthy and well leader yourself? And what does that mean to make that a cultural norm in your Mm -hmm. company and using a lot of principles from our foundations um, of health, sleep, movement, restoration, nutrition, community. But then on top of that, looking at how you be uh, and become an emotionally intelligent leader. And that is really challenging to do, Mm -hmm. especially in this day and age for so many reasons. So I see us focusing on retreats. And then we're going to be looking at building day retreats so Mm -hmm. that what we offer is more accessible to more people. Um, Looking at putting on local day retreats, um, which obviously take less time, less resources and a little easier to access. But then we do the deep 
deeper dives when people come to the point Mm -hmm. um, up in Pequot Lakes, Minnesota. And looking at opportunities to um, do more of what we've done in the past with um, some of the uh, tools that we have in our toolbox to give people really deep looks at their their state of holistic health. And that will probably look uh, more um, at using the continuous glucose monitors. Mm That's objective data that you can get, you know, real time and see what different things are doing to impact your health. And um, to lead, it's really hard to be a leader of any significance if you're constantly running on an empty tank or your own health is compromised um, or your own relationships are failing. And those are are all things that impact us at different times. And so what can we give people to be sustainable and effective leaders for the long term? Um, And I think we're going to do a lot of profound work in that space Mm -hmm. ahead. Mm-hmm. And then the women's retreat we just had. Oh my yes. gosh! You know that was kind of a um, looking at you know women holding up the world in a lot of ways over this last year and taking um, you know a, a lot of responsibility at, with our kids, with our homes, mm-hmm. with changing how we do work. And obviously, we are women, so we like to have retreats where we can relate to the people coming. And our women's retreat was so fun in May. I mean, we just had a great group there, a great group of leaders. And we're looking at bringing that back in 2022 Mm -hmm. also, um, and just holding a really sacred space for women to explore ways, new ways to health and support one another. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's really fun to be part of and see you continue to push the bounds for health and wellness. So talking Mm -hmm. EQ and IQ Mm -hmm. as opportunities for health and wellness, which is fairly outside of the box, even more so than a lot. Yeah. So I think it's it's wonderful to be a part of. So thank you for that. And mm-hmm. thank you for speaking with me today. It's yes. been wonderful getting to know you and I hope our audience feels the same. Again, to everybody listening, we will return at the end of the summer. You can always back up and listen to old podcasts and we are always available on social media and on our website as well. You can find us on social media at The Point Retreats and you can also find us at our website at thepointretreats.com. Thank you for listening today. We hope this podcast inspires you to rebel and be well. You've been listening to the Rebel and Be Well podcast, hosted by Krista Ryman, registered nurse, founder, and CEO of Lifestyle Medicine Retreat Center, The Point Retreats, which is located amidst the woods and waters of northern Minnesota. If you'd like to ask Krista Rymel or one of our past or upcoming guests a question that will be aired on a future show, simply call 612-352-9177 and leave a message. Please know that when you leave a message, it may be used in whole or in part on a future podcast episode. Again, that phone number is 612-352-9177. Please hit subscribe on whatever podcast source you found us on and rate and review our show. We'd love to hear feedback. Rebel and Be Well is recorded at the studios of Minnesota Podcasting, located in St. Paul, Minnesota. Find them online at mnpodcasting.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the individual participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views, opinions, or policies of the Point Retreats, Minnesota Podcasting, or any other organization. All medical issues, concerns, diagnoses, medications, and treatments must be managed by your doctor. We do not replace any clinician's medical advice or treatment. Join us next time for Rebel and Be Well.